Hi, I'm Paul Haverschrud, host of The Cost of Living. It's a show about money and how it shapes our lives. In big ways, like why inflation could get worse if we all make more money. Here's the hard truth in all of this. Workers are going to have to eat that real wage loss. And small ways, like what's the fastest way to order fast food? That first Big Mac that comes out of the kitchen is going to the drive-thru. Check out The Cost of Living. We're on CBC Listen or wherever you get podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Like just a few short weeks into the first season of the Professional Women's Hockey League, the teams were already selling out arenas. So many people have waited for this moment in women's hockey. Today on the podcast, how the league is changing the landscape of sports entertainment. I'm Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. This is Commotion. Okay, so right now we are properly into the very first season of the Professional Women's Hockey League. The league launched on January 1st with a game between Toronto and New York. Shelton with her stick on the end. She gets it! Ella Shelton scores! History is hers! The first goal of the Professional Women's Hockey League... Ella Shelton. When do you get to witness the very first goal in the league? The very first one. That is history in front of your eyes because it's the very first season of the PWHL. Every first is historic. In case you haven't been following, there are six teams, three Canadian, three American. This Friday, Toronto plays Montreal at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. It's the first time that the league has played a venue that large. That game sold out minutes after the tickets went on sale. Here to talk about this moment we're in and what it says about women's hockey and sports entertainment, we got two hockey buffs, Carissa Duncan and Sienna Gorellis. Welcome to the show, Carissa and Sienna. Hey. Hello. How are you? Hey, I'm happy that you guys are here. Carissa, maybe I'll start with you on this. You've been reporting on all the PWHL action since the beginning. How would you describe this moment in that women's hockey is having? Yeah, well, women's hockey is certainly having a moment. That's a good way to put it. Um, you know, you've talked about the the record-breaking attendance. Obviously, we've got the big game coming up on, on Friday in yeah. Toronto, but uh, we also saw more than 13,000 fans at a game in Minnesota just last month. Um, it feels like records keep breaking uh, every week. And the way I put it is I think people are starting to get it. So for mm. a long time, I mean, people, obviously they love the team Canada USA rivalry. It's one of the best rivalries in all of sports, in my opinion. Yeah. It's great. Um, but then those same players would go out and play for their club teams, oftentimes wearing the same equipment, just a different Jersey and people wouldn't show up, not even for a championship. And this Friday is a regular season, uh, random night in February, and people are showing up. So yeah. to me, that says I think people are starting to get it. Uh, Carissa, for you personally, what is it like watching this moment and watching these games and the and the way that the, the tension has been falling on them? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 been quite quite exciting to watch, and and I love watching other people discover women's hockey. So yeah. for me, my moment was at the 2002 Olympics, uh, which yes. maybe gives you an idea of how old I am. But I had no idea that women played hockey before that, um, and I loved it. That was that was my moment that I fell in love with the sport, and I love watching other people um, have that moment, and you know, just 
just as a reporter too, getting a chance to watch best on best. We've not really had that, you know, obviously we have the Olympics, but in league play, we've not really had that ever before. Um, So it's exciting to see, you know, who's gelling with who um, and just to get to talk about hockey. Like these players have spent a lot of time over the last few years talking about inequity and about league building. And now they get to talk about hockey. That's so fun. Yeah. I'm going to come back to that 2002 Olympic moment in just a moment um, because that was a moment for me too. But Sienna, let's get you in here. Listen, I don't know if you're old enough to watch that 2002 Olympics, man, but what is it like for you watching this league um, kind of take flight right now? Um, 2002 was actually the year I was born. Hey, um, I watched- <laughs> I don't tell us this. We can't handle it. Okay, continue. <laughs> Um, it's been great, honestly, growing up in the sport as well, uh, watching women's hockey, you know, playing it myself. It feels really good, especially, you know, when younger kids are looking up to it, they can actually have a goal now. Yeah. And it's just so exciting to watch other girls have that look in their eyes that they have something that's possible for them in the future. Um, I was going to say, like, you are you wear a lot of hats when it comes to hockey, whether it's being a TikTok influencer, also being a goalie, also being a coach. Uh, yeah. As you were growing up and watching um, watching only men on the ice, what was that like? Um, it was inspiring because, you know, I was able to watch something and actually grew up in a hockey family. So mm. I was you know, watching it with my dad growing up. And honestly, it didn't matter to me whether or not men or women were playing. I just wanted to play. Yeah. And to me, it just was motivational enough that I could play as well. Because we get to this moment, Sienna, and what's interesting to me is that like the dream suddenly shifts, right? Because before the dream would have been, I guess, the Olympics. And that's, that's yes. you know, that's the highest stage that is available. That's the place where you could watch this unfold every once in a while. But now it feels like maybe a different dream is possible anyway. Talk to me a little bit about how could you imagine making a career out of this now that you could see it on television every day? Oh, it is definitely possible if you have the motivation for it and you want it, you can definitely achieve it because now there's, you know, a livable goal for younger girls in the future, not just the Olympics that happens every four years. There's something that's consistent and there's a league that they can look forward to. Uh, Carissa, a lot of us grew up watching the women's national team accomplishing those incredible things, right? Like winning the gold um, in Salt Lake City in 2002, and then going back to back to back to back, um, winning in Vancouver. That was something really special. But this is different, right? This is something special in a different way because it's regular season hockey that is getting these massive turnouts. These teams are now selling out massive venues. We talked about the Scotiabank Arena. What do you think is behind all the success? How did we arrive at this moment of success, do you think? Yeah, I mean, well, there's a long history, I guess, of how women's hockey kind of arrived at this point. There's been stops and starts. There have been other leagues that didn't work. Um, And, you know, I think you can really trace it back to 2019 when the Canadian Women's Hockey League uh, folded rather suddenly. And a number of the best players in the world said, you know what, we've we've had enough. We're going to, um, you know, hold on for something that we think is sustainable. We're going to build it ourselves. Um, They essentially formed a union. They formed a players association, but they didn't have an employer yet at that point um and and they actually you know had such a huge role in creating what we see now so they fought for that for a number of years obviously we had a pandemic in the middle or else i think we probably would have arrived at this uh, moment sooner but you know i think that's important context for how we got to this point um but you know it's not just women's hockey i think women's sports in general are, are having a moment i mean we've seen the national women's soccer league yeah exactly yeah. you know having um 
record sit, you know, record valuations for their teams, record attendance. So, um, you know, it's not limited to women's hockey. Sandy, did you want to add anything there? I saw that you were nodding in agreement. Um, I've agreed with a lot of what Carissa has already said. Um, she yeah. knows way more than me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I look up to her a lot. Um, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a big, big moment for women's sports in general, knowing that, um, it's been very male dominated. Mm -hmm. And now that, you know, women are coming into the pitch and we finally get our opportunity and, you know, knowing that it's more diverse more than ever. I, Chris, I have to say something that something that you just said really struck me, which is like this idea of they formed a players association before there were any teams, before there was anybody who was, you know, actually employing these people. Um, because what that tells me is that like these are players who are coming together and saying, we're ready to work. Whenever you guys are ready to work, we're ready to work. And some of these players have talked about how televising these games has made all the difference, which is to say like it's like the rest of the industry came to them because they were already there and unified and ready to start this thing. When when we talk about um, the, the possibility that you can stream these games on CBC, on Sportsnet, on TSN, how do you think that's helped the sports popularity right now? Yeah, I think it's it's helped tremendously. I mean, just the accessibility, right? It's like people yeah. in the past, I saw somebody say this on Twitter today, which is, you know, in some of the previous leagues, you had to work really hard to be a fan of them because it was so hard to find the games. And then sometimes yeah. you watch the broadcast and it would look like somebody, you know, had filmed it on like a, like a doorbell camera or like the webcam I had on my family <laughs> computer in 2004, right? Like Adorable it wasn't good. <laughs> So, yeah. you know, it was, it, you know, and that's going back years and years, right? Yeah. Um, so it's the fact that you can, you know, turn on CBC, you can stream it on CBC Gem, you can yeah. go on YouTube. I think that's been awesome to just sort of, you know, grow that fan base. It's been huge. Um, and I think another important point to note, you know, about the growth of the sport is this is the first time that the players have really had um, the resources to be at their best. So mm -hmm. it's important to note that in years past, a lot of these women um, would work other jobs. And they would, right. you know, go and play hockey at night. They would go practice at night. So this is the first time they're and and granted, you know, the salaries are still not huge. They're not NHL salaries, yeah. but it's it's the first time they've had a lot of professional resources. And I think you can see that in the product um, that you watch, which which helps as well. There's a lot of people who are discovering women's hockey and they're like, hey, this is really good. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. And I think a large part of that also has to do with like the literal, I mean, like the production value that you're talking about, right? Like the idea that um, if you, if there was just like one fixed camera, you can really enjoy the game the way that you would enjoy all the resources that NHL has, then you wouldn't necessarily, you know, recognize it as, oh, I'm watching the same thing. Um, but the fact that all these resources are being poured into it makes it look so good so then people can actually get into it. My name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud and this is Commotion. Today on the podcast, we're talking about the Professional Women's Hockey League and the success of the PWHL is having in its first ever season. Sienna, I got to talk about your TikTok, dude. We got to do it. You cover the, you cover the Leafs um, in your TikTok. But lately, yes. a lot of your content has been about the PWHL. What are some of the stories that you've heard from your followers as you start to do more PWHL content? Um, I've heard a lot from um, my comment section to my live to, you know, meeting um, players in person. Yeah. Um, some, of the, some of the players, especially girls, have said, you know, since watching you, I've been wanting to start hockey. I've started playing hockey, started playing goalie, and that just warms my heart because, oh. um, you know, if I can do that, I will 100%, you know, do whatever I can to get more kids into sport, get them active, get them playing. But, 
yeah, it's it's a great feeling that I can do that. Uh, Carissa, what is it like hearing that um, from Sienna? I love that. I mean, I think that's great. Obviously, you. like you're the future of the game. And I think um, it's so oh, cool yeah. to see people engaging with it. And that helps too. like just having people talk about it. Right. When we talk about the accessibility and, and getting people excited about it, um, you know, for sure. The, and the league acknowledges, I think, that they still have work to do on that to introduce yeah. people to the players in this league. It's it's we're only two months, not even two months in. Yeah. Um, but I think that helps helps a lot. I was going to say we're six weeks into the league's existence so far. There are only six teams in the league. And right now we're not seeing the same sponsorship money that there is in the NHL. Uh, Carissa, what do you think are the challenges for this league and its future right now? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, they've had some big sponsors come on. Definitely. Like you said, there are six teams. Um, and, you know, one of the big problems right now is there's not really like a clear um, development, you know, they don't have like a farm league, like yeah. the American hockey league would have, you know, connected to the NHL. So in the future, for sure, that's, you know, that's going to be an issue. Um, you know, they've talked about wanting to expand in the future, but not wanting to expand too quickly because ultimately this is, um, a business and you want it to be profitable. So, mm. I mean, that's one of the questions going forward, obviously, um, you know, they have to figure out what size arenas they should be playing in. Yeah. Um, I think maybe bigger than they thought at the beginning of this season, they have to look at, um, they don't have team names or logos at this point. So that's on the to-do list. Um, and then just, you know, continuing to, to get it out and, and making sure that it's still accessible. Are the games going to be streamed on YouTube forever for free? Probably not. Um, but yeah. right now it's about getting people introduced to the we'll league and yeah. exactly developing the fan base. Yeah. Uh, Carissa, you said farm league and Sienna's like, I'm coming. Let's go. I am. You know, <laughs> that I, I, I love Sign that. Uh, listen, last word to you, Sienna, on this Montreal is about to play Toronto. What are you going to, what are you going to be looking for this Friday? Great hockey. Like they have been playing since the beginning of the year. Um, you know, physical play, um, just stuff that you know we can watch we could profit off of, off of we can watch again um i'm just looking forward to the league to keep doing what it's doing because it's doing great so far i love that carissa sienna we got to leave it there but thank you so much for your time thanks for being here yeah, thanks for thank you us. of course carissa duncan is a reporter with cbc sports she's in fredericton and sienna gorillas is a hockey influencer and player in richmond hill ontario her tiktok is at stars under double underscore hockey Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. My name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud, and you are listening to Commotion. Look, I gotta tell you, he's back. Okay, Jon Stewart made his big return to late night last night. Take a listen. Nine months till the election, people! And the exciting part is, we already know our candidates. It's, drumroll please, these guys! That's why tonight we're debuting our election coverage, Indecision 2024, American Democracy! 
It's a homophone. We didn't change the, the sound of the word, but we added a K, which makes it wittier. Are you disappointed yet? I, I, look, I honestly never thought I'd see the day. I never thought I'd see Don Stewart back in the host air of The Daily Show. This is a show that he left nine years ago, a show that no one really expected him to return to, mostly because there has been a very public and very long search for a replacement, a long list of people vying for that job. But suddenly it's meet the new host, same as the old host. A lot of mixed feelings out there about his return. Devin Gordon is here to tell us about what he thinks and what it means for political satire on TV. Devin, welcome to the show. How's it going? Very good. You know who was really surprised to see him back in the Daily Show chair? Who's that? John Stewart. <laughs> what, do, what do you make of this? What do you make of his return, this idea that uh, for the longest time it was like, there's no way I'm coming back to this. And then you stayed up late last night to watch him return to the seat. What do you think, pal? It was kind of exactly what I expected and feared, um, oh, which no. is okay. that, um, you know, I wasn't a fan at all uh, of, of, of him returning. Uh, you know, he left a decade ago for a reason. Yeah. Um, he didn't want to come back. This this was not what he surely expected when he left a decade ago. Um, clearly, when you consider that Comedy Central has spent a year and a half uh, looking for a new host, briefly had one in Hassan Minaj, yes. uh, and then dumped him at the first sign of trouble. This is clearly not what they had in mind. Um, this smacked of panic and desperation uh, from the moment it was announced, and I and I think we saw why last night. Um, I, you know, all the liberal and democratic uh, people in my Twitter mentions who really blasted me for the column that I wrote in the Atlantic, saying that this was a disappointment. I wonder how they're feeling this morning. Is, right. is this what you were so excited about? Warmed over jokes for 18 minutes about how old Joe Biden is and a few jokes about how old Donald Trump is, but mostly a false equivalency. Is is this what you were so excited about? Because that's kind of what I was expecting. And that's what you got. I, you know what? I'll tell you what it felt like, Devin. It felt familiar. Right. Like that's I yes. think that's the number one word for it is that there was a period of time when you would look to Don Stewart to do this kind of comedy and raise the basically like raise the argument that our politics is absurd right now or the America's politics are absurd right now. And he would do that. He does that thing well. And isn't there a comfort to be found in the thing that he does well, which is to say it's not just you. You're not crazy. Everything is a little bit absurd. Yes, and that's the best spirit of the show, but that's not what I saw last night. I mean, we are well past the point of Joe Biden is old jokes, Donald Trump mm. is old jokes. That is not raising the conversation. That is not exposing the madness, hypocrisy, lunacy of of current politics. Do better, John. You know, that the, the John Stewart of, of 2004, 2006, 2008, when we were still doing indecision, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That was much smarter and much sharper and much more elevated. This is just old jokes. Yeah. And, you know, that that's those are easy. Those are easy. People have been making jokes and pointing out that these two guys are old for about a year now. We need to move past that conversation and get into some more interesting and provocative stuff. And that's really what I was hoping John Stewart would do. Instead, he spent 18 minutes, 18 minutes making jokes about how old they are. And then his first guest comes on and talks about how Joe Biden shouldn't even run for a second term. Mm. Is, is that really what the people who are so excited about John Stewart coming back, the people who were like, only John Stewart can save us now from Donald Trump. Is that what they were hoping for? Uh, look, he said, and he's right, 
that both uh, that that um, the the presence of Donald Trump does not make President Biden less subject to scrutiny. It makes him more subject to scrutiny. Yeah, I agree with that. But I don't think that that's what the viewers who are so excited about Jon Stewart were expecting when he came back. And I think for those who are hoping that Jon Stewart would raise that dialogue and would raise that conversation, old guy jokes, especially when you're the one coming back after 10 years. <laughs> like, you know, the best part of the first episode um, was when um, Dulce uh, Sloan came on about a half hour into the show. That was apparently an hour long last night. I yeah. didn't know that was going to happen. Well, actually, I was going to say, before you talk about the Dulce part, can we actually have a clip of it. So I just want to play it and then you can talk yeah, about it right great. after. Okay, so let's play the clip. Why aren't you uh, inside the diner asking people what they think? I know what they think. It's what everybody thinks. This is the same shit all over again. It's just a reboot. We need more than just the same show with an older yet familiar face. <laughs> like, let someone else run the show. We're talking about the election, right? I said what I said. I, in that moment, Devin, I was like, why isn't Dulce Sloan hosting the show? Uh, but anyway, exactly. talk about your reaction to that moment. Go ahead. That was, to me, the only good moment of the show because it was the first time, the only time, when they were really doing anything provocative and coming close to touching a third rail. Right. And it was really funny. She was really funny. Yeah. And gosh, at the whole time I'm watching this, I'm thinking, you know, she's joking. But I kind of wonder if she believes the jokes. And yeah. then, you know, a minute or two later, you have Ronnie Chang, who I who is hilarious and I also think would have been an incredible host. <laughs> his only time on screen, he's talking with his mouth full of chicken tenders. Yeah. <laughs> That's his sole appearance on the show. And the whole thing was just kind of depressing. Yeah. It made me wonder if these correspondents aren't a little pissed themselves. Uh, I mean, you you said – so you wrote an article for The Atlantic uh, called The Daily Show is Better Than This. So there is, I think in your mind, um, a higher aspiration, a higher goal, um, a higher version even of the show. What does that look like? What did you mean that there is there is a daily show that is better than this? You know, it's a little facile to just say uh, a more diverse and younger uh, set of correspondence and hosts and sensibility on the show, which I definitely think is true. Yeah. I don't think anybody is excited to see someone coming back after a decade away from something that they left voluntarily because they thought their time there had gone on too long, that they were no longer the person for the, sh for the job. Yeah. But I also just think what we expect from The Daily Show is really elevated, sharp, original critiques of mm. our politics. And look, I, I say it again. Talking about how old these guys are is the most facile and obvious thing you can do. And it went on forever. Yeah. And I kept waiting for the jokes to get more original, but they never did. They just kept on doing the same thing. Well, what's interesting to me is that, like these are expectations that Jon Stewart himself set. Like, right? like Jon Stewart at his best is the person who maybe set the metronome of what it's like to do good political satire in America. In many ways, The Daily Show never really escaped a shadow, which is to say Trevor Noah did a very different tack, a very different version of of that criticism, of that satire, a much more earnest one, I would say. Um, and yeah. for Jon Stewart to return back to the same mode that he mode of satire that he occupied before, to me, that's an interesting choice that The Daily Show is making. What does that tell you about what viewers want out of their satire, do you think? 
Well, I mean, I think it shows that Comedy Central and the people who made this decision haven't really been paying close enough attention to comedy over mm. the last decade in the sense that that mode of um, sort of self-flagellation, sardonic uh, uh, coverage of these administrations of American politics, it's, it's a little tired. Um, mm. And it wasn't, you know, John Stewart was questioning the effectiveness of a show like his in 2015 when he left. And he was and right to. He was right to question it even and then. And he was right. Yeah. He was right. And now he's recycling the same humor at a very critical moment um, mm. in American politics. And I think what you saw with someone like Trevor Noah and the group of correspondents that they that they introduced over the years and the guest hosts that they auditioned for for like a year and a half was a different vantage point. Yeah. An originality of vantage points, someone saying something different because their experiences mm. and their identity and their background was more in tune with where American politics and American comedy was now. And this just feels kind of like nominating Joe Biden and Donald Trump to be president again. It's <laughs> it just you can't escape the irony yeah. of spending 20 minutes making jokes like that. Well, you're the same thing. And that was what was so great about Dulce, um, Dulce's is that she came back and, put, you know, she put her finger right on it. Yeah. And it was really funny. But yeah. then they moved on very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it was there was edge in that room, man. Like just for the for that split split shot, you could see a bit of edge in even her face. Devin Gordon, we got to leave it there. But thank you so much for your time. I think we're going to do this again. We're going to talk some more about John Stewart. But I thank you for being here. I appreciate it. I'd love to. Thanks for having me again. Of course. Uh, Devin Gordon is a writer based in Brookline, Massachusetts. He's also the author of So Many Ways to Lose, The Amazing True Story of the New York Mets, The Best Worst Team in Sports. And that is it for the podcast today. Remember, you can listen to any episode of Commotion wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. I'm going to be here tomorrow. If you're going to be here, let's do this again. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.